Welcome to New Hope's teaching podcast. This is an excerpt from our Sunday morning service. Visit newhopepdx.org teaching for notes, worship, and church announcements. Stay up to date with our teaching series and events by downloading our app. Just text New Hope PDX app to 77977. Enjoy this week's lesson. What does true love look like? I've had the privilege of officiating a lot of weddings uh, over my, my 20 plus years of pastoring for, for family, for friends, for people who I barely know. And, and when I say a privilege, I, I mean that. You get this opportunity to play a significant role in, in a really important moment in, in most people's uh, lives. My opinion is the, uh, the best part of a wedding ceremony is the vows. Uh, when you know, the bride and groom turn to each other and, and they look each other in the eyes and, uh, and they, they, you know, some, some people write their own vows and most people use traditional vows. I've, uh, I've written some modernized vows that I give to, to most couples whose wedding that I officiate. Let me just, let me just read these vows to you. When the, when the couple says this afterwards, they're kind of officially married in the eyes of God and, and the state. So here's the vows. I love you, and because of that love, and in the knowledge that God has brought us together, I, insert someone's name, take you, insert the other name, to be my husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, you probably know this part, for richer, for poor, to love, honor, and cherish till we are parted by death, as God is my witness, I give you my promise. I always tell couples, in the rehearsal, if you're going to get emotional, this is probably where it's going to happen. If tears come, this is probably uh, where it's going to happen. They're good tears, and, and it's beautiful, beautiful words. Uh, in my own wedding, my wife and I, Corey, this is the moment that she, she was saying these words that she began to weep. And I remember reaching up and like wiping away her tears. This is really romantic. You hear the oh moment. But I have, to be, I have to be honest, even though it's a holy moment, sometimes, and increasingly so, as I get older, um, in the midst of the vows, when I'm watching couples say these things, I'm tempted to giggle. <laughs> like, I never do giggle because I'm a professional. That would be very unprofessional. Uh, but I'm tempted to laugh. And why I'm tempted to laugh is I'm not laughing at them. I'm kind of laughing at the enormity of the moment that they don't understand. Because <laughs> usually they're, they're, they're young folks. And they have no idea what they're promising and what they're saying. I think they're saying it with sincerity. I think they absolutely mean it, but they have no idea. Most young couples, the biggest decisions they made is maybe who gets invited to the wedding or what goes on the registry at Bed Bath & Beyond. That's like the end of the deal. And you have to look at each other and say, you know, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, till death do us part. And I like want to giggle right then because I'm like, you have no idea what you're saying, what you're promising. And that's not to make fun of them. It's not to say they don't care. They, they're, they're not really committing to that. There's no way they could know. Corey and I didn't know. We had no idea what we were committing to. What does true love look like? We're in the middle of a series called What Does That Mean? And the goal of the series is to take important, significant Bible words, Hebrew words, Greek words, that have significance to how we see God, how we see ourselves, 
and to take a hard look at them. I, we, we believe that these words often are misunderstood. We often get these words wrong, and they're so important, we want to get them right. So each week we're taking a word and we're looking at it, we're looking at what does scripture reveal about it, how does scripture define it, uh, how do we misunderstand it, and then most importantly, now that we understand it, hopefully how do we live it out. There, uh, scripture uses many different words for love in the Hebrew scripture, in the, in the New Testament, in the Greek, many different words. One of these words is our word today. It's the word chesed. Now, it's a, it's a, it's a, hard, it's a hard K-H. Let me write the word up here. It looks like this. And so at home, say it with me, you got to get <clears throat> a little bit of phlegm in your throat, and it's chesed. Now, our sound people tell me, and I've used this word previous sermons, that when I say that the entire time, it's really annoying, <laughs> like harsh on the ears. So for the rest of the sermon, I'll just say chesed, and that's fine. You can say that as well, but I wanted to pronounce it correctly at uh, the beginning. This is one of the key words in Scripture to define love, uh, principally uh, the love of God, and that's our word for the day. So before we get into our public reading of Scripture, um, I want us to pray. And uh, I want to pray a prayer over you that's been written. I use an app called Lectio 365, and it's a great app. I highly recommend it. Use it most mornings and evenings. And uh, on Sabbath day, on Sundays, this is one of the prayers they've written, and I just kind of want to pray this over us uh, as, we, as we launch into God's Word. So let's pray. May this day bring Sabbath rest to my heart and my home. May God's image in me be restored and my imagination in God be restoried. May the gravity of material things be lightened, and may the relativity of time slow down. May I know grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word feed me and his spirit lead me into the weak and into the life to come. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so for our public reading of scripture today, it's uh, from Psalm 136 and Feel free to open that up at home and, and follow along. We're not going to be reading all of it. We'll be reading some from the beginning and some from the end. So uh, Gary and Denise will be reading it. And we're going to do something different. So if you're if, if you were live here with us on Sunday, we'd be doing what's called a responsive reading because that's the way the psalm is designed. Uh, the worship leader will read the first line and then all the people uh, together will respond uh, with the phrase, his love endures forever. So we're going to ask you to try this at home. So Gary and Denise will lead you in this responsive reading of Psalm 136. Take it away. Verses from Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His love endures forever. The sun to govern the day. His love endures forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. He remembered us in our low estate. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord.
All right, how was that? I hope that, hope that you uh, participated, whether you're, you're watching this alone, <laughs> driving in the car, listening to it, or, or with uh, folks at, at home. I want to encourage you uh, to use this model. You could actually use this psalm and, and how it was written. You would replace it with your own phrases. But if you're with a group of people, your life group or your family around a table, you could have people go around and name things they're grateful for, uh, ways they see God, the way God's bless them. And then everybody together could say his love endures forever. I bet you can guess what the Hebrew word is for love that you kept on repeating. And it is our word hasid. So how does scripture define this word? Uh, most words uh, in any language have a, a many different meanings. So uh, people who, who study words call this the semantic range of a word or the range of meaning of a word. And this is true in most languages for most words. Let me give you uh, an example. Think of the English word throw. Uh, we say that someone throws a, uh, a baseball uh, a potter uh, throws a pot, and then you can throw out your back. So what usage of throw, what does throw mean? I would say, what's the context? Are we on a baseball field? Are we in an art studio? Or are we watching somebody hold an ice pack as they lay on the couch? That would inform what the meaning of the word is. That's just how language works. So when people come to me with Bible words, they're like, what does this word mean, Pastor? I'm like, well, what's the context? Show me where, where it's used. Uh, it's, when we say uh, throw the book, it matters if we're using that phrase in a library or a courtroom, right? Context matters. This is uh, certainly true for our word love in English language. We love family. We love friends. We love puppies. We love our romantic other, we love pizza, we love the blazers perhaps. We can use this word in a lot of different ways. Context matters. And that's absolutely true of our word today, hesed. Hesed is a challenging word to precisely define because it's so awesome. It's like a beautiful diamond that has many facets. If you turn to the Hebrew scriptures, you'll actually see this word hesed uh, defined several different ways. Uh, typically, uh, translations define it as loving kindness, or steadfast love in Psalm 136 that we just read, it was just uh, translated as, as love. Uh, but here's there, there's characteristics of this word that, that are always part of the word whenever it's used. Some of the characteristics is hesed is rooted in faithfulness and promise keeping. Hesed always endures. Hesed is kind. Hesed is good. Hesed is active. Hesed feels deeply. And Hesed is often expressed towards those who are most vulnerable or most helpless. Our Hebrew scholar, Bible project friend, Dr. Tim Mackey, uh, defines Hesed this way. He defines it as an act of promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. That's great. Uh, it's a good definition. One of my favorite definitions of Hesed uh, in this idea of love comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a kid's Bible, but it is Unbelievable, but so great for, for people of all ages. And they, they, they would define it like this, the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Love that doesn't quit, love that never lets go. So we can define it in a myriad of ways. It has a range of meanings, and it's a super complex, beautiful, multifaceted word. So we just need to know that about the word. Over time, I've kind of developed, I've developed a simple definition of it and kind of taken it from that Jesus storybook Bible definition, um, I define it as love that 
never quits. I think that's a faithful definition. And a lot of these definitions that are longer, we just can't remember. But I think this is one we could possibly remember. When we see this word hesed in in the Hebrew scriptures and then even represented in the, in the Greek New Testament, I think that's typically what it, what it means. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Hannah challenged us to consider what we think about God. And that's a profoundly important question. Uh, a theologian, A.W. Tozer, said, what we think about God's the most important thing about us. Uh, so she pointed us, uh, appropriately so, to Psalm 34 to discover who God is, an accurate uh, portrayal of who God is. And that's the scene to remind you uh, that, that God reveals himself to Moses and announces who he is. And the line is this, the key line from Exodus 34, 6, is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in, here's our word, hesed and faithfulness. So last week, uh, uh, Pastor Hannah did a great job exploring the, the first word, that God is compassionate. And that's an important way to form our understanding of God. We're going to look at another phrase this week, that God is abounding in love or abounding in hesed. That should also form how we see God. And we see this throughout Scripture. I could literally stand here for an hour and go on and on and on, illustrating the Scriptures that use the word hesed to, to describe that. You'll have to trust me, but let me give you a few examples. One, we, we, you've already participated in. Uh, Psalm 136, all the ways that God blessed Israel and his people, and each time the people are to respond his hesed endures forever. His hesed endures forever. When you see good things in your life, that's evidence that God's love never quits. Another example is Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The prophet writes, and this is, a lot of scholars think this is prophet Jeremiah watching Jerusalem burn when he writes this. He says, because of Yahweh's great, here's a word, hesed, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah is telling us that God's love never quits. And then finally, one that you probably know, but you haven't seen this word in it, King David's Psalm 23, the last verse, my favorite verse of that Psalm. Uh, Surely your goodness, and here it is, hesed will follow me all the days of my life. God's love never quits it. It actually just keeps chasing us. So here's an important feature of who God is, that God is abounding in this word, hesed. Another aspect of how scripture reveals in the definition of this word is that hesed uh, propels the biblical story. God, who is abounding in hesed, responds to Adam and Eve running away, not listening to him, breaking down everything that God has built and marring it, God responds, the one who is abounding in hesed, by chasing after them in the garden. Remember that scene? Where are you? Where are you? And then clothing them as they realize in shame that they're not wearing anything. And then promising to make all things right. Then God goes and recruits this guy, Abraham, who, who just heard sheep, and he just pulls him out and says, Abraham, I promise you, here's the promise-keeping element of hesed, I promise you I will make you a great family that will bless all nations. So in that promise, we're following that promise as a through line throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, uh, Abraham's uh, grandson, Jacob, who is a conniving scoundrel and thief, steals his brother's birthright, that whole deal. Like, not a great dude. God still keeps his promise. And here is what Jacob realizes after all that. In Genesis 32.10, uh, Jacob says, I am not worthy of the hesed you have shown me. God's love never quits. 
So the writers of scripture want us to know. Then we have, uh, you know, Jacob's descendants kind of go their own way. That's just kind of what, what we do with our broken hearts. And, God, and they fall into slavery in Egypt uh, for, for 400 years. Uh, then they cry out to God and God, because he's, his love never quits, he answers them and he liberates them through this guy, Moses and the Red Sea and out they go. And then uh, the people don't like what Moses is doing and, and, and they're not satisfied that they threaten to kill him and replace him. And God is furious at that, rightly so. And Moses then steps in and advocates for the people uh, by saying, forgive them because of your great hesed. The scripture, the scripture reveal God's liberation of his people in Egypt as an act of hesed. Now Moses returned to again and say, God, we need another act of hesed because your love never quits. So we continue to follow this promise. It propels the story. And then we follow in the cycle where it's just frustrating to read. It's frustrating because we see it in our own lives, but people run from God and they, they fall into mischief and they cry out to God and he comes because of his love never quits, because of his hesed. And he restores them and he redeems them and he sets it right. And we just see this cycle again and again and again in scripture, leading all the way up to its fulfillment in Jesus. In Luke's gospel, young Mary, who's confronted by this angel and told that you will bear the Messiah, the hope of the world, the promise of Abraham and the promise given so long ago that God would build this family to bring this Messiah that would save the world. And how does Mary respond? She responds by singing. And what does she say? Luke 150, she says, God's, here it is, hesed extends from generation to generation. Hesed propels the biblical story. What does hesed look like? We can define it all day long. We can talk about how scripture treats it. What does it look like? It looks like the book of Ruth. And maybe you know the book of Ruth, maybe you don't. Some years ago, we did a series on the book of Ruth. I love the book of Ruth. It's one of my favorite series we've done uh, over the last six or seven years here at New Hope. Old Testament scholar Bruce Walkie says that Ruth is in the Bible to illustrate God's hesed. It's compelling. We want to know what God's hesed is. What is it? It's this story. And I think stories are probably way better than definitions to show us what, what a word is. We don't have time to go into the whole book and the nuances. You can go back and listen to, to some of those messages if you want. Uh, we'll do another Ruth series in the future, I'm confident. But let me just give you an overview so we can grasp the depth and the beauty of God's hesed. So the story opens with a famine in Bethlehem region. Uh, Naomi and her husband, her two sons, flee to the land of Moab to try to find food, to try to survive. That's how it starts with bad news. Well, then it gets worse. Uh, Naomi's husband dies. Uh, she's left w without a husband to, to fend for herself. Uh, her two boys, they're pretty desperate, so they marry Moabite women, which is kind of a no-no, but they, they do that. Uh, so Ruth is one of those women. So then it gets even worse. Both her sons die. So imagine this poor woman in the midst of a famine, fleeing from home, destitute, uh, no male heirs anymore, and it's Naomi's left with these two, two uh, daughter-in-laws. And she, uh, she loves on them. They, they they're kind of uh, have to stay with her according to custom, but she releases them. She says, go back to your people. But Ruth says, uh-uh, no. And here's what Ruth says. If you want a great definition of, of hesed, this is probably it. Here's what Ruth said. Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. Ruth embodies Hesed in the story. Ruth is the love that doesn't quit. 
So Naomi's like, whatever. <laughs> she doesn't really care. She's just a broken woman. And she, she's kind of given up ironically on God's hesed. And this Moabite woman that doesn't really know Yahweh that well is the one that believes. So she, uh, Naomi walks back to Bethlehem and kind of tail between her legs, kind of broken down, destitute, roost behind her, and, and, and she's desperate. So, so Ruth embodies Hesed again and does really her only option. She becomes a beggar. And uh, in those days, uh, God told the rich people to leave gleanings or little pieces of wheat along the edge of the field uh, for the people who were poor. And so she's like, I'm going to go glean. I'm going to take the role of a beggar and, and, and a slave and go glean. So she went to this guy, Boaz, this rich guy's field. Little did she know, because uh, God has orchestrated the story, that Boaz is a, is a relative of, of Naomi. So Boaz has heard of Ruth's Hesed, her faithfulness. So he shows up. He's like, oh, I know who that is. Like, I've heard what she's done for Naomi. He calls her over, gives her a lavish feast, gives her tons of food. And then Ruth returns with arms full. She's got so much. And, and then Naomi's heart begins to awaken, that God has not given up, that God's love never quits. She's seen this and experiencing this through, through Ruth. But they're still destitute. They're still really vulnerable. So Naomi kind of throws the Hail Mary and says, like, go propose to Boaz. Uh, we assume he didn't have a wife. We don't know what happened. Like, go propose to him. So there's this crazy scene, which I don't have the time to explain, on the threshing floor where Boaz wakes up and Ruth's at his, at his feet. And it's one of the most courageous, vulnerable, loving, romantic scenes of all of Scripture. And, uh, and he wakes up and he realizes her courage. He realizes her love. He realizes her hesed. And this is what he says. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. <clears throat> this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Uh, incredible. Uh, Naomi, uh, earlier, she, she, she hears what Boaz is doing for them, and she, she, uses, she says this verse, which is a really interesting wordplay. She says, the Lord bless him, speaking of Boaz, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his hesed to the living and the dead. There's a wordplay there, is, is the he God or is it Boaz? I think it's both. I think Naomi's eyes are being opened to this fact that God through Boaz and God through Ruth is displaying his love that never quits. Beautiful story. And then it goes up all the way. It gets even better. Starts with such bad news. It ends with such good news. Uh, Ruth and Boaz get married. They have a son, Obed. And the scene, the, the story ends with Naomi rocking, you know, you know, they went from destitute to doubt, you know, this, this rich guy, all their needs are taken care of. She's rocking on the front porch holding, holding Obed. What a scene. Like the story begins with them not having grain seed or shortly human seed, to be blunt, both they're lacking, and it ends with tons of grain seed, more than they could ever want or imagine, and, and a future, human seed. And then it gets even better, because we're told, the narrator tells us at the end, that Obed is the grandfather, are you ready for this, of King David, who is the line of who? Jesus, who is, who is the very embodiment of Hesed. What does Hesed look like? It looks like that. Uh, there's a scene uh, from the movie Last of the Mohicans. Who's seen Last of the Mohicans? Anybody? It's a great, great movie. A little dated now, but it's awesome. Um, it's a historical drama based on James Fenimore Cooper's uh, famous novel. It's set in 1757 during the uh, French-American War. Daniel Day-Lewis plays the main character, Nathaniel Poe, or Hawkeye. Uh, he, he was an orphan, and he was raised by the chief of the Mohican tribe. And it's basically the chief and him and uh, the chief's natural son. They're all that's left of the Mohican tribe, last of the Mohicans. 
they, they end up with the British who are kind of being attacked by the, the Indians. He falls in love with the daughter of, the, of uh, Colonel Monroe, a woman named Cora Monroe. So it's a love story. So they're kind of fleeing uh, their fort and they're attacked by this, by this uh, tribe and um, the colonel's killed and everybody flees. So he takes the two daughters of the colonel, the three men, and they run for it. And they're being chased by the tribe. It's kind of like you know, pounding music. It's a, and they go up behind this waterfall. It's this like really intense scene. And he realizes they're trapped. And he realizes his only hope is for them to jump through the waterfall, safety, save their lives and leave the two women. They're not gonna be able to make the jump. And so there's this really to see where he looks at her and he knows what's going to happen and, he, and he's, it breaks his heart. But he looks at her and he says, you survive, you stay alive, no matter what occurs, I will find you. No matter how long it takes, no matter how far, I will find you. And then he like jumps through the waterfall with his gut and like, it's incredible. I'm getting kind of goosebumps right now. It's really romantic and intense. That's what Hesed looked like. I don't want to give away the story, but he keeps his promise. Like, I'll find you. I'm coming back for you. Don't you give up. Years ago, my wife and I were, were hiking in Chimney Rock State Park in North Carolina where much of this movie was filmed. And we found the trail to the waterfall where the seed was. And so I thought it would be really cool to reenact the scene. So I thought I'd be like Nathaniel Poe and she'd be Corman Rowe. And I was like, don't give up. I'll find you. And then she started walking the other way and I kind of creeped her out. So it didn't work. I mean, I'm no Daniel Day-Lewis, but... Um, there you go. I gave it, I gave it a try. Um, what are some misunderstandings of this word? Every week we look at the word and we try to get a grasp of what it means biblically. How do we misunderstand this word? Uh, one, we misunderstand by thinking that, that hesed is just an emotion. And uh, it is an emotion, but it's way, way more. I can't think of a time that, that God's hesed is not connected to activity and action. So it's an emotion that leads to action. It's love. It's God's faithful love in action, if you will. I mean, think of all the times we, we've already mentioned God uh, showing up and making clothes, God, you know, calling out Abraham and setting his people free and leading with a cloud by day and a fire by night and providing manna and a way through the Red Sea. Uh, on and on and on we go, all the way up to the greatest expression of Hesed, which is the cross, God putting on skin and coming here and doing the work of faithful love. Uh, one of Jesus' most famous parables is the Good Samaritan. You, you're probably familiar with it, even if you're not familiar with scripture. Jesus is telling this story to religious leaders who don't understand what love is. And he's trying to get these very learned men to understand what love is. So he tells this elaborate story and the guy gets beaten up, left on the road. And then three people pass. The first two are religious leaders and they feel for the man, but they do nothing. And then the third person is like Jewish people's enemy of the day, a Samaritan. And uh, this man not only feels, but bandages and gives money and provides and does all the action that love entails. And then Jesus, it's, it's irony, right? It's the, the, the hero is the one that's unexpected. So then he turns back to the religious leaders and he's like, who showed real love? Essentially is what Jesus is asking. Who was the one that loved? And I could just see all of them like hanging their head like, I can't believe I got to answer this. And, and they, they say the one who showed mercy. This Greek word is the word that translates the Hebrew word hesed. The one who showed hesed. The one that didn't just feel, but the one who acted on it. Hesed is not just an emotion. When I'm, when I'm given that a wedding challenge talk to couples, right before they do their vows, I have like a seven or eight minute little thing on love and what true love is. And I come to the very end of it. I do it every time. And I look poignantly at them and I say, what will love require of you? 
What will love require of you? And, and I mean for them to ponder that. And then I say, you're going to spend the rest of the days of your life answering that question uh, in your relationship with one another. If love is just the vows that they express and then they don't show that in how they love each other, love is nothing more than a sentiment. Uh, that's not what Hesed is. That's not what love is. Love is, is active. Uh, Hesed is faithful love in action. All right, what's another misunderstanding? Hesed is opposed to correction. This is something that drives me nuts, this modern concept of love, that to love is for God or whoever to just let me do whatever I want. Just, just let me do, be myself and do whatever I want. That's the best way that you can love me, and that is not love in any way, shape, or form. Any parent knows this. <laughs> what kind of parent that's loving lets their kid do whatever they want? We step in, we discipline, we create boundaries that keep them from harming themselves or others. That's good parenting. You show me a kid that that parent lets them do whatever they want, and I will show you a kid that's going to grow into a horrible adult. <laughs> like, it's not going to go well. We know as parents, we know if we've ever been in leadership, that love, true love entails correction. Uh, the opposite of love is, is not hate. You probably know this statement, but it is it's indifference. When we create a picture of a God that, that never intervenes and never corrects us, we're not talking about a God of love. We're talking about a God that's indifferent. We don't want that, and that's not who God is. The writer of Hebrews says God corrects those he loves. It's a sign of his love that he corrects. And we see that all throughout the story of scripture. When his people go their own way and misbehave and get into all kind of mischief that harms themselves and harms them as a community, God sometimes disciplines them directly, sometimes allows them to experience the, the fruits of their own action that aren't good until they repent or till they return to the one who's the only one that can love them with a love that doesn't quit. So love... Uh, God's correction is a vital part of hesed, a vital part of love. Final uh, way we misunderstand this word is that God only loves us, uh, we think God only loves us at our best. And this is totally understandable. Um, I miss the whole online dating deal, but I'm super intrigued by it. Uh, and I have single friends that, that choose to use that, that way of dating, and I'm, they probably get annoyed because I'm always asking them about it. And I'm always like, what's your worst online dating experience? Boy, there, there are stories. But one thing they consistently say is that People, and I would, I would say they include themselves, do everything they can to beef up their resume to make themselves look as, as attractive as they can online, including the picture. People often use pictures that are much younger than they actually are uh, because we know inherently that, that, that often people will love us at our best, but rarely will they love us at our worst. Well, God's not us, thank goodness. And God's a God that loves us at our worst, uh, God, uh, God's hesed is not conditional on a, a, a performance or, or, or appearance. In fact, God's love gravitates towards those who are most needy and most helpless. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners in our worst state, Christ died for us. Um, we actually, not only in our worst state, we actually run from God. And we've seen that already several, in several descriptions of Hesed. Like our natural disposition is to run from God and run away from God. Even then when we're running away from God, God's Hesed chases us. I noticed as I was, I was typing out the message and typing out the, you know, the K-H-E-S-E-D that Microsoft Word self-corrected to the word chased, which I thought is like, that's perfect. Like that's essentially what the word means. C.S. Lewis uh, talked about God as the hound of heaven. I love that description. Uh, I've run from God so many times in my life, I can't even tell you. It's so comforting that God's love never quits. 
that he chases, that he comes after me, that he doesn't give up on me. Uh, Hound of heaven. I think it's a great description. That's why I love dogs. My dogs, our dogs love me at my best and they love me at, at my worst. And that's true of God as well. Uh, over the years, I've heard so many people, when they find out I'm a pastor, it gets uncomfortable, or I might invite them to church and they're like, yeah, thanks, but that's not a place for me. What they mean is I'm not fit for that or I have to like clean myself up, or you have no idea what I've done or what I've thought. And this is the good news. Jesus said he didn't come to save the righteous, but he came to save the unrighteous or or the sick. That's good news for me, and that's good news for you. Uh, You may think, if you're listening, that you, 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 I just can't do that, like, like God, God's not gonna like love me. You, you have no idea, pastor, what I've done. You have no idea what I've done. Here's the deal, God knows all of it. God knows all of it. Everything we've all ever thought, everything we've ever done that, that shames us deep down that we don't wanna reveal. We don't have to like, you know, beef up our resume with God or use a picture that's 10 years younger because God loves us at our worst. Uh, God looks at all that and comes after us and chases us. Uh, so, uh, I want to ask the question that I ask of every couple that I officiate their wedding. What does love require of you? What's this like? If we've been loved so extravagantly with this love that's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, this love that never quits, taking it all the way to the cross for us. And if we're followers of Jesus, we are loved that way. What then does it look like for us to embody Hesed? What, what does that look like? What is, what is that going to mean for our lives today? And I would, uh, I would turn back to the model of the Good Samaritan. I think it's a great model. And the model of the Good Samaritan is the Good Samaritan just loved the people that were in his path. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed by the enormity of the needs in our world, and uh, it seems like they've never been greater, that we don't do anything. And I think as followers of Jesus, God's actively working. He's actually putting people in, in our path that so desperately need to know a love that doesn't quit, that doesn't bail on them, that loves them at their worst. And I think that opportunity is there for all of us today. Our, our, our mission statement at New Hope is to follow Jesus and share his love. What does that look like? What will love require of you today? Uh, as a follower of Jesus, you get to spend the rest of your life answering that question. And I challenge you to answer it uh, today in, in, the, in the form of whoever's in your path. What does Hesed look like? One last story before we, we close. Uh, on September 21st, 1997, uh, a two-and-a-half-year-old toddler was abducted right outside his front door while his mom cooked inside. Uh, this is in, in northwest China. I, I can't even imagine as a parent. And even if you're not a parent, I, I, I can't even imagine. It totally staggered this family. The boy was sold to a couple in central China, and sadly, this is something that goes on regularly there, the one-child policy. Uh, Some estimate up to 70,000 children are abducted in China every year. So this boy just disappears, gone. I I can't even imagine. The boy's parents spent the next 24 years looking for their son. Uh, The dad uh, used every available moment to drive across China, which is a massive country, on his motorcycle. And he had a picture of his two-and-a-half-year-old son, and above that picture it read, Son, where are you? Dad is looking for you to come home. He traveled 300,000 miles over those 24 years. He went to 30 of China's 34 provinces looking for his boy. Over that time, they started an organization that led to finding 100 children, over 100 children that had been abducted and returning them to their families, but never their son until this last July. 
and I think there'll be a picture that comes up that, that displays the reunion. Uh, what an incredible story. The authorities somehow figured it out and tracked the boy down and used DNA and arrested the people that were responsible and set up this reunion. They brought their son home. Uh, finally, the family bought 1,000 pounds of candy <laughs> to hand out to their neighbors at celebration. And then I think is, a, is, is customary in China, they got rid of all of their possessions, cleared out their house to signal a brand new start because their boy had come home. There are uh, so many distorted, broken down, frankly, just disgusting images of God out there that haunt our hearts and shape our churches in wrong ways. Uh, Pastor Hannah did a great job of pressing into the compassionate God last week. And I think her line was um, that as we, uh, we are renewed, as our image of God is renewed. And what a great line. And uh, so this phrase this week that we look at, who is God? God is one abounding in Hesed, abounding in the love that doesn't quit. I don't know how you may have been wounded by church or church people, or maybe you haven't been wounded at all. And you just have kind of distorted out, but... I want you to have that picture of God. God's the, God's the dad on the motorcycle uh, that has your picture and my picture saying, where, where are you? you know, I'm waiting for you to come home. Uh, that's who God is. I'm confident of it. And that totally reshapes and revitalizes uh, who God is and, and changes how we see God and how we see ourselves, frankly. God is the one who is abounding in Hesed. God is the God who possesses and offers freely a love that never, ever quits. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much uh, for this word. Um, I think it's one of my favorite words in scripture. Um, I love the mystery of it. I love the many different facets of it. Um, I love this idea of a love that doesn't quit. It's not conditional on us cleaning ourselves up or presenting ourselves with the right appearance or performance. It cuts through all that foolishness and it just loves us. It chases us down again and again and again and again. And God, I pray as uh, people who are listening to this message, I don't know where it's landing in hearts, but I pray that it would give hope, that it would bring healing, uh, that maybe for the first time someone sees there's a God that created them and loves them and died to redeem them and is on a motorcycle looking for them and wants them to come home. And those of us who, who know that and have wandered in, for whatever reason and, and that that same image come to mind of a, of a homecoming. I pray there'd be many homecomings today. Thank you that you are a God of, of Hesed, that your, your Hesed endures forever, that your love uh, never ever quits. We're grateful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen.